This is On Your Radar, a podcast series we record at WGN Radio. I'm John Williams, and we do this with the clinical staff, the doctors, and the good folks at Rosecrans. And the title of this episode in our series of podcasts is Living in Recovery as the Family. Maria Campobasso is here. She's a clinical outreach coordinator for Rosecrans. Mark Frankel is here, too, a parent and advocate. His family has gone through some of the things we're going to talk about. Both of you, thank Thanks for coming in. Well, thanks for having thanks us. Thanks for having us. Maria, let's start with you. What do you do? Um, I work, I've been with Rosecrans for a number of years, and my role has been developed to support um, physicians and their patients and reduce barriers to care. Um, so, But I also facilitate a parent support group. Um, that is where I met Mark parent support group? What's that? Um, it's a group that meets weekly. It's one that uh, Rosecrans has established or been pr- providing for their families, for those in recovery. So um, it's open to anyone. Um, but we oftentimes, uh, we've developed it for our families who are currently uh, have clients that are in our program. So we have a parent cafe, and then we have a family um, family support group as well. I've heard about the parent cafe. I think we've talked about that on our radio show before. What's the parent cafe? The parent cafe is just a uh, clinically led, so I'm the one who uh, facilitates it, but it's just an hour and a half support group for families where they can come, or parents where they can come and gather support and uh, connect with other parents who are going through the same things. Sounds like al or something like that. Similar, except the one key difference is that it's uh, there's a clinician present. So, so you are walk me through what a typical parent cafe meeting would be like. Yeah, so um, we start with a check in. Uh, we check in with names, kind of what brought you to group, and then um, I always kind of talk about the themes that are presented in the group and then we open the floor and parents are allowed to process whatever they're experiencing going through uh, and get some feedback from other parents. Parents, it's a parent cafe, so it's more adults talking about their children rather than siblings or work or something like that. Correct. And so my kid has relapsed or I'm worried they're going to relapse or we got into an argument about, I mean, these are probably the kind of topics that come up? Yes, that's, those are exactly the topics that come And up. then you are there maybe as a clinician, but does the support come from the other family members or what does that look like? I always tell the families and the parents that are in my group, I hope I don't speak, right? So I rely really heavily on them to, um, to provide the support and the feedback and the understanding. So I, I really, really rely heavily on them to, to, to make the group run. So many of the conversations we've had in this podcast series are with the, the doctors and clinicians, and they talk about the treatment. Or we talk about the individual struggles that those people have, the, the clients at Rosecrans. We haven't talked a lot about what that must be like for the siblings and the parents, the other family members who are living with these people and dealing with their own host of issues, right? I mean, that's kind of a struggle unto itself, isn't it? Indeed. Indeed. And and uh, what are some of the things that those family members experience? Guilt or anger or, or maybe joy? I mean, my kids are uh, sober living now, so they must feel good about it, right? I think that you bring up a good point that it really is a roller coaster of emotions that parents are feeling. And those are the things that we talk about in that parent, in the parent support group. Um, but yes, guilt, shame, 
grief, loss. I mean, a huge topic that we've talked about recently have been when kids aren't meeting those typical milestones, graduation, prom, going off to college. So it is the the whole spectrum of emotions that parents get to talk about, including joy. Are the parents that you're talking to, do they have children who are sober living now or maybe they're not sober living now? Again, the spectrum of parents. So some have kids who are in early recovery living in sober living. Some have kids who have just entered treatment, maybe one week, two weeks in. Some have um, kids who have went through treatment and got out and then didn't make um the behavior changes didn't last and they went back to using or old behavior. So Relapse is a bad word or not a bad word? You know, I never think of it as a bad word. I think uh, we have to talk about it, especially in early recovery, because it does happen. That's also another topic that we talk about in Parent Cafe, which is just managing that expectations for families that relapse is likely. We And you may have heard this Um, before from any one of our team, a lot of what we do is plant seeds, especially in early recovery, that sometimes when they come to treatment, it's not a one and done. Um, This is an ongoing, I always look at it as a disease and you wouldn't stop treatment um, when you went to Mayo Clinic and just came home, right? You would continue on with whatever type of treatment, medical treatment you were getting for a medical illness. It doesn't stop. Um, So it's not just a one and done when families get, when they're loved one comes out of out of treatment. There are probably great moments, too. My kid did graduate, or they did get a job, or we all watched TV together and wasn't that nice. Absolutely. Yeah, we definitely have those moments as well. And does everybody cheer that on and uh, share in the happiness? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we celebrate those I always, small things and big things, right? So we celebrate those as well. So now... Um, Mark Frankel, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, your journey. Uh, tell us, uh, as you listen to this conversation, what's going through your mind? Well, you know, when you have a child who has a substance abuse problem, I'm um, listening to you guys talk about, well, are there things you celebrate? And absolutely. Um, but I have to tell you, as a parent, you're always afraid of what's going to happen next. You're walking on eggshells because it's... It's not one and done. And if you've been through it long enough, you almost, I don't want to say you expect, I guess almost you do, even though you shouldn't. You almost, you know, expect something bad to happen. It's just, it's the, our brain gets that way by going through this. I think when you're a parent, the thing is, as a parent, the first thing you do is you yell at your kid when you find out they're using. What are you doing? Just stop. You know, you want to shake them. We don't realize that this is a disease. We learn it's a disease if we go to support groups, if we read, if we educate ourselves. But I think what the problem is is parents think that their child is just a bad kid gone amok. And it's not what happened. It's just not what happened. So we have to learn as parents not to be critical of it. You know, we have to, we have to validate them. We have to show them compassion. We have to change ourselves and how we communicate. So while they, while they have to f- figure out their recovery or how to get there, we have to figure out how to get our own recovery. And until we do that, you're just going to have the back and forth. Having a child who is using is, 
it's you're, you don't sleep. You might stop seeing your friends. You stop doing the things that give you joy. You're, you're just focusing on your child. It's like, how can, what do I have to do to get them better? You know, I'm a dad, so as a dad, I'm supposed to solve all these problems. You can't. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work that way. So as a parent, it's almost, you're, it's kind of, I, want, I heard someone say it's like loving them inside out. And, and, and by that, what, what I mean is, you, you, you know, you don't want to rescue them. They have to feel pain because they have to feel some of the consequences. But if you had a child, your natural instinct with a child is you don't want to see them in pain. You know, you, you do rescue them. Now, sometimes we rescue our kids too much. It's a whole different issue. Um, but we can't manage this disease. We can't control it. What we can do is be there for them when they're ready. We can try to influence their decisions. But it really is up to them. There's no magic pill. Mm-hmm. And that's what parents want. The first thing they, when they come to a group is, tell me how to fix it. That's all they want. Tell me how to fix it. Friend of mine, um, their son <clears throat> is a heroin addict, and she says every time the phone rings, I think this is the call. She says, I think this is the call. Um, you, you, to your point about you never really escape the, the worry about that sort of thing. No, your, your mind is always and, – and unfortunately, your mind goes to the worst possible scenario. It shouldn't, and I think you could probably help with that. Therapy helps a lot, but that's where your mind goes. You start projecting. Mm-hmm. You start projecting. You start seeing, you know, ghosts in the closet. What are you hearing as he talks about all of this? I um, I definitely see it. I see uh, that happen. I love so much of what Mark says, and this is again why um, having parents in the group be it. it it hits a little different when it's coming from a parent versus coming from a clinician, right? Um, so hearing Mark say that you know, parents need to do their own work, they absolutely do. That's definitely a message that comes in from the groups. Well, what do the two of you say about that notion that you're supposed to let somebody hit bottom? And then when they hit bottom, then they're ready. Okay, can I, talk, I, can, I can talk to that. I can't stand that. Yeah. Bottom is death. You don't wait for them to hit bottom. It, you know that you that's old school. The old school was tough love. Let them hit bottom. You know, don't give them a bologna sandwich. That doesn't work. You know, they have they have to feel a connection. They have to feel that they're loved. They have to know that when they're ready for support or or to go to um, if it's inpatient or whatever they're, whatever they're going to do for themselves, that the parents will support them. So this bottom, you know, I've heard raise their bottom, and I can, okay, go for that. You don't, you can't, especially with the drugs today, with the opiates out there and fentanyl, you can't wait for them to hit bottom. I mean, you just can't. That makes perfect sense to me. And, and I think that that is labeled as abetting the abuse, but I think it's terrifying and very real, the consequences if, you, if, if, if you're not that last rescue net for the child. Now, that's you and me talking. Do you confer, concur with what he and I are saying? I do. I think about it. What comes to mind for me is this concept of we can open doors for people, but they have to choose to walk through them. So uh, that you don't you don't have to wait until someone is at their lowest point. I do think that 
the way that change works that people I'd always presented in the ter- in terms of choices, like we give people choices. So you give your loved one choices and they do have to be somewhat uncomfortable to want to make any type of change, right? Good or bad. Um, whenever we're thinking about changing anything within ourselves, um, you have to be uncomfortable. So I don't think that, uh, you, I definitely agree that we don't have to let anybody hit bottom anymore, um, but they do need to have some level of discomfort, right? They can't stay in your their lovely basement feathered bed have you serve them dinner every day have you do their laundry and give them money and all of those things um they definitely need to feel some level of of discomfort and then be given a choice right about this is unacceptable behavior and here you have a choice to do a or you have a choice to do b mm-hmm. you know i i've also heard it said that you also need to give them some structure and some opportunity for success for fulfillment if it's some somebody in this podcast series said making the bed in the morning was a step i could take and accomplish and feel good about it i don't i don't know if that is making any sense or resonating with you mark but you, we we need to provide opportunities for structure and success yeah it does make sense i didn't do it because i did <laughs> and i did a lot of things wrong um but their their self-esteem is just in the toilet so anything you can do to make them feel better about themselves is going to is going to be helpful yeah how does that oh, go ahead i was going to say authentically right like we have to be authentic about it because i think that our loved ones can really know when we're just you know so uh you know the I, my husband always says um uh, messy bed messy head which is totally true so you know having them find their um success in you know doing those small things is is really huge and giving them their their accolade i always say catch them being good um for small kids and big kids you know catch them being good when they're doing something something well definitely hand it to them but it has to be authentic because our loved ones can see through when we're being inauthentic and when we're just kind of placating them yeah. so but I suppose you also have to come to a point where you realize you didn't do this, too. That, yes, that's very, very important. Matter of fact, when parents first get find out about this, and they, the first thing they do is, is say, what did I do wrong? And they didn't do anything wrong. You know, it was interesting. I went actually went uh, a while ago. I went to a meeting, and one of the dads said, you know what? I was too easy on my son. I was too easy. I let him get away with everything. That caused substance abuse. In the very same meeting, another dad said, I was too tough on my son. I just was all over him. I didn't give him any space. I just, he goes, you know, I shouldn't have done that. It's all my fault. No, you know, if, if, if imperfect parenting caused a child to have a substance use disorder, then every child would have a substance use disorder. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So it's not the parent's fault. And it's probably a difficult realization for a parent or two parents to come to. I would imagine that creates friction either with the siblings or the married couples, too. Was that your experience? 100%, yes. Um, first of all, for the siblings... The child who has a substance abuse problem, they're getting all the attention. Yeah. So you're just you're kind of not giving the attention that the other child really needs. 
in terms of a marriage, I mean, the divorce rate for 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 um, couples that have a child in substance abuse is is way, way, way higher um, because you're not on the same page. Typically, you're just not. You, you need to get there. You need to educate yourself. There's a lot you can do, but initially, you're, you know, there's a lot of finger pointing, a lot of defensiveness, and, um, you know, you're not in a good, a good place anyway. Hmm. So, yeah, a lot of fighting. So do you all at Rosecrans work with that dynamic as well? I mean, um help that person with the abuse problem, but heal the family. There's other people involved here, right? Indeed. We have um, a family program for those, for adults and for adolescents as well. And I think, again, and Mark um, just talked about it, that we are... Having that parent support group is is huge for families. I mean, there are parents in my group who have been for a number of years, uh, and they all stay connected outside of group. So, But healing the family, that's one of the first things that we tell family. We try to manage their expectations, and we really, really try to encourage them to do their own work. I think what happens a lot of times is we zoom in on the person with the substance use disorder um, as they are the identified problem. But when we pan out, we realize that, again, it's just a whole system. So I always try and tell parents that they are a cog in a wheel and that in order for that system to continue to work, like if one cog changes, other cogs have to change in order for that system to continue. And so once they can recognize that Parents and families can do things to contribute to their loved one's wellness by really identifying, and again, not that there's any fault, but really identifying how they have contributed in a sense to the, and when I say contributed, but it's more of how they have um, how the illness has impacted the entire family system. So mm-hmm. once they can recognize that, they can make some of these changes. Sometimes it's communication, which is really, really a big one. Well, Mark said here just a second ago, okay, I didn't cause the problem, but I made mistakes too. So it sounds like the two of you, and he identified something that you're talking about now, that we have this problem that we didn't create, but let's be smart about how we're going to manage this situation now. And I suppose that's what the Parent Cafe or the group sessions or Rosecrantz can help people with. And the one thing that I would wish for a family like yours or any of the people in this circumstance is that they would still find a time for them to feel happy, to feel engaged, to not be dwelling on this thing, to allow themselves to still have as rich a life as as they could possibly have. Is that a challenge you've personally, specifically thought about? Yes, it, it is a challenge, but it's also very important that you do have your own life, that your happiness isn't dependent upon your child. But that takes time to get there. Um, the support groups, I can't tell you how important the support groups are. To know you're not alone and to be able to talk about this without being judged, is it's it's amazing just what you get out of these groups i mean to maria's point i've made lifelong friends my closest friends other than the couple that i grew up with are from these groups and i've been going through this for nine years it's there's a bond there that i can't even explain plus when you go to these these groups and you have a child who's in substance abuse you become far less judgmental you become far more caring you become a better person I don't think I'm the same person I was when this started. I'm not from, far from perfect, but I, but, but I think I've made some strides. I, um, 
So these groups, I just can't say enough. If you don't want to go, you know, if one group doesn't work for you, try another group. Try Al-Anon. You know, if that Al-Anon group doesn't work, see, go to another Al-Anon group. You've got to find your group where you're comfortable. But, it must be very rewarding for you to see people network and feel that. I, there's a little joy in your voice there, sir, when you talked about the friendships that you've made. Th- there is, because, I mean, I, went, I can't tell you what these people mean to me. I mean, I see them all the time. We socialize. I can tell them, you know, I can talk about anything. I can talk about anything. And before that, you know, before all this started, you know, I was a little closed up. I wouldn't talk about too many emotional things. Now, you know, the more more emotional things, the better. As far as when I'm you concerned. would meet with these people, say so, socially, would you uh, drink alcohol? Um, we, we on to occasionally, yeah. Depending if we went somewhere that was a nicer place, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, because you aren't all the ones that have to maintain a sober lifestyle, uh, sober yeah. meaning you can drink responsibly right. if you so choose, um, what are you hearing as he and I talk about this? You know, what comes up for me is um, I think that we always look at, or we can look at, that the substance is the problem, right? That if, oh, if they didn't just drink, but Mark's you know story is one of that, yes, um, alcohol use disorder or substance use disorder, you know, oftentimes defined by the big book is an abnormal reaction to a common substance, right? So, and it's that loss of control that really is that abnormal reaction. Cause there are people who drink and they drink normally and they don't have a problem. They can have one and put it, put it down. But then those that have substance use disorder have, um, they have one and it has the opposite effect, right? It sends them, they, they want another one. They don't know how to stop. But a typical reaction to having a drink is you feel sleepy and you want to go to bed kind of thing. But an atypical reaction, and that's when evaluating substance use disorder, alcohol use disorder is when it sends you off to the races. So, you know, I think when you're, um, when Mark is talking about having a drink, that's, that's an honest conversation with those that have loved ones that have experienced that, right? But they're not necessarily the ones with the identified problem. But sometimes in families, they are too, right? That they are the ones that have, uh, that possibly suffer from that. And, or, that's when you want to start to explore your relationship with with alcohol or you know the does it is it allowed in our house is this something that we do um what about that um is that it should should families make that decision if somebody has a substance abuse problem well let's just talk about alcohol because you're not supposed to have heroin in your house <laughs> uh, but but you could have marijuana these days right. should the family decide we're not going to have those issues that one family member is struggling with should that be a line at the front door what would you say to that personally i think if someone has if someone is an alcoholic and are living at, at home you should not have alcohol in your home. I mean, if, it doesn't mean you can't drink. You can go out and go out for dinner and have a glass of wine. But no, I don't think. I think if you really want to support them, yeah, then then you you shouldn't have alcohol. In that house. seems so obvious, doesn't it? And yet, the world has alcohol, so maybe um, that person needs to understand they're going to exist in a world where there is alcohol. Uh, would you reinforce what he is saying? Would you agree with him? I um, I always like to have families look at it from a perspective. Because, again, uh, having 
looking at substance use disorder as a disease that if you had a shellfish allergy, you know, and you went to and your parents sure wouldn't they wouldn't serve shellfish every night at dinner. So you have somebody who has an allergy to alcohol or who has alcohol use disorder. You don't serve alcohol when that happens. I think it's there's also a lens from a recovery perspective for the person in recovery that parents are always wondering, like, how can I help? How can I help? What can I do? Well, that's one way that you can help, and it's pretty easy, right? You, you can take it out of the house. You can choose not to have it at Christmas. Um, mm-hmm. But people in recovery oftentimes feel really burdened asking their loved ones to take it out of the house. I can imagine they would hate to see them robbing you of something that you previously enjoyed. So now it's like, no, it's a you, everybody's deferring to somebody else, and nobody is comfortable with the scene now. But if you had a diabetic in, at home, you wouldn't have a pantry full of cookies. That's uh, that's so true, isn't it? I mean, why am I making this so damn complicated? <laughs> uh, take the booze out of the house, uh, particularly if that's the decision maybe that your family has come up with. If you all are most comfortable with that, if that works for you, then... It's such a loving gesture. It really is. It's a loving gesture to the person in recovery. Do either of you have maybe specific tips or we're starting to talk about that now but um other cues or clues for people who are dealing with somebody who is abusing in the house rid the household of the item that they were abusing do talk about it don't talk about it um i mean what other tips or suggestions do you have mark for people who are are going down the road you've gone down i think the most important thing is to communicate with your child you know, again, not to criticize them, not to shame them, not to use anger. It's a disease. And if you if you understand that and you kind of can accept that, it makes it a little easier. Now, I'm not saying you don't get angry. I'm not saying, you know, you're going to lose your temper. You're going to lose it. We're human. But if you can communicate with your child so you can have an honest conversation, and when they're ready or the window opens – and, and we had, Rhea and I talked about this earlier, the window opens up and it shuts very quickly. You want them to be able to come to you. They're not going to come to you if, you're, if, they, if they're afraid of your reaction, but if you're supporting them, and, they, and, you know, and the whole time they have to know that you love them. You have right. to stay connected. That's right. really, really important. Right. So my, that would be my biggest advice was, Keep those lines of communication open. But that would include uh, expressing your anger or disappointment at them at times, too. Yeah, you're not going to ignore it, pretend it's not there. Otherwise, you're making it – it's almost too easy. I mean, no, no. And there are boundaries. You have to have boundaries, whatever your boundaries are, and you have to keep those boundaries. And everyone's boundaries are different. Um, So it's not putting your head in the sand, which is something that a lot of – Parents do, including myself. I did that um, initially. It's letting them know. Yeah, listen. There's. A, let's talk about what. Why do you feel a need to engage? And the more comfortable they are talking about, it, the more you're going to get out of them, and the, and the better chance you're going to kind of influence them going, taking a step toward recovery. If a child is in recovery, um, what is your thought 
about monitoring their friendships, their life. What did they do when they went out? Are you going? Am I going to make you blow into a device when you get back? And let's see if you've been drinking alcohol. What are? What is your thought about that? So I think about it, and I always try to pull parents and family members out of the role of probation, right? Like they, and that's where Mark is talking about. You need to create a safe space for for your loved one to communicate with you so that when they are ready, and the term we heard that I heard this week was um, window of willingness, when they are ready to get help. So you create the safe space for them where they feel like they can communicate these things with you um, for the small things and the big things. So, um, and I'm so sorry, John, can you repeat the question? My brain went all over the place. No, that's that's quite all right. I know you've got a lot to uh, speak on, I but do. I said, should the parents monitor the behavior, oh, yeah. make them blow into a device when they get back? I think it's again, and and there are times where this. Then this is what I would say to parents: like this is your boundary. If this is your boundary and a choice that you want to have for them to be able to live in your home, then that is your choice. But you you better be able to live with it, right? You better be able to mean what you say and do what you say because given any opportunity, and this goes back to your question about like couples when they're not on the same page, given any opportunity, it doesn't help your loved one when they don't, when they know that, well, mom doesn't mean, mom says she's going to kick me out, but she's really not. Oh, mom's going to breathalyze me tonight, but I, I bet you I can, if I just talk to her long enough, like she won't do it, you know. Or deny me the car if I ever come home drunk and yeah. now you're going to lose the car for six months. Then they got to lose the car for six months. Then they got to lose it. And, and what does that mean for you as a parent? Because they have to get to school. They have to get to work. You know, what does that mean for you as a parent? So it's thinking beyond that. So mean what you say. Um, otherwise, it doesn't create enough of that structure that you talked about earlier for them to, to, to really know and learn. And boundaries are one of those things that the the when we set them the people we set them with will push against them so that just to see how strong they are and that's what happens all the time mm-hmm. in and out of recovery sort of reminds me of that saying mark of it this is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you this is going to be a pain in my ass as well mm-hmm. but this is the way we're going to have to get through this right now that's right i think because as as parents sometimes i mean it's like when we rescue our kids we rescue them because it makes us feel better, it takes takes our anxiety down, but it's not best for them because then they don't see the consequence. Yeah. So you know the the boundaries, whatever you said, are so important. And Maria is absolutely right. If you're going to set a boundary, make sure you can stick with it. And you know, there's a, a saying, you know, say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. And I think you you have to realize these boundaries are not. You're, you're not punishing them. And I think some people think boundaries are, well, they can't do that because if they do that, then this. They can't use the car because they came home drunk. Well, your boundary would be, I'm not comfortable having you use the car because I don't want to put other people at risk. It's my insurance. I'm not comfortable. So it's, it's, it's about you. So it's not about them. It's not about punishing. It's about boundaries, very different things. Well, if the theme of this conversation is living in recovery as a family, I, I think you, you know, we keep kind of coming back to it's not just that person who has to have a full life and, and needs to figure out how to live in the world. Families do, too, um, when they're in the immediate proximity of that person like how are we living in this room as a family but maybe when we're going to go to the movies now and have a good time and we're going to enjoy the movie and allow yourself to do that maybe with their sibling 
um, maybe without their sibling. I suppose we haven't talked much about the siblings, and I'm not going to spend a lot more time in this podcast, but um, should we make a concerted effort to engage with those other children in the family? Absolutely. I think that they do sometimes and can get overlooked, but that's why there are, you know, alateen, depending on the age, but that those individuals also, they also have a recovery journey because it does impact them. So whether it's individual therapy or their own support groups or... um, but, you know, it doesn't happen alone. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. It does impact the whole system. So the whole system definitely needs to be needs to be addressed or looked at or evaluated. And I don't suppose it's contagious, alcoholism or drug abuse, but maybe if one of them has it, now you're you know you're hovering more over that other kid because you want to make sure they don't run into trouble and and they might throw out the flag and say wait a minute i didn't do anything wrong here so i I can imagine how complicated that gets mark it it can be i mean there's certainly a genetic component a very large genetic so you are always worried um but it is tough sometimes you you can go either way i mean you could be tougher on that person for, what, for the reasons that you're talking about, is like, well, I don't want this to happen to you. Or you could say, well, okay, you don't, you don't have the problem, and, and you almost don't pay enough attention to what maybe is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, it truly is a family disease. Well, I'm glad that's why there's the, the parent cafe, uh, why there is Al-Anon, why there is a place like Rosecrans for families to connect and find strength this way. Any last thing you want the listeners of this podcast to hear, Mark? Well, I think when we're talking about recovery, I think the one thing that parents have to keep in mind that early recovery is considered as a year. So too many parents, including myself initially, thought you send your kid away, you dip dip them in the waters of recovery for 30 days, they're going to come back, done. It doesn't work that way. That's, it just doesn't work that way. There's a lot of steps you have to go till you finally at the place where you hope to be. So I just want parents to understand you have to understand this is not a, a 30 days one and done. It's just it, it, it's not. And too many parents that are new to this, that's what they think because nobody told them differently. Yeah. You know, I wish I was as educated then as I am now. But I wasn't, and you're not. You know, I almost feel like when, you know, before your your kid's 10, you got to take a course. I wish there was a lot of that you had to take a course and you had to read, you know, up on this and understand it. Because it, w- it would have helped me a lot. Well, I think you're helping a lot of people here today. What else do you want to say? Um, I think that... You know, that Mark is totally right that it's not a one and done and that this is a process like any disease. You don't just go and get it, get a quick fix for, you know, it's, it's progressive. So, um, you know, anything left untreated gets worse and that, but that there is hope and, you know, that the, process for parents, um, and we talk a lot about this kind of parallel process, but that this is, you know, Mark mentioned the kind of PTSD or trauma that as a parent, you know, always thinking about it. This is not something that just goes away for parents either, right? Because they have their own injuries. So I just think that it's important for families to recognize that uh, this is an opportunity for them to to get help as well. Um, and again, there is a lot of hope. 
recovery or substance use disorder is a very isolating illness for both the individual in recovery or in the in the disease, but also for families. It's very isolating. So the shame goes across the board and that is why connecting with families other parents other family members other spouses who've been through this is just so powerful Mm. and i must say uh, this has not been an easy conversation perhaps for you i so appreciate your candor but it's also encouraging to me to hear that you all know this that there are support groups that there is a way for families to find connection and to be as strong as they can so if for whatever reason the addiction has afflicted your family it doesn't mean that you're done now but that you can get better you can get strong and you can find support and um, so i really appreciate mark you're sharing your story with us and maria for the work you do thank you thank you for thank having you. us This is On Your Radar, Living in Recovery, a podcast series produced by WGN Radio and the doctors and clinical staff at Rosecrans. With over 60 locations throughout Chicagoland, Northern and Central Illinois, Wisconsin and Iowa, help is just a click or call away. Go to rosecrans.org or call 866-830-8729 for more guidance and information. Rosecrans, life's waiting. Life's waiting.